I was uh, sitting in my cube at work uh, at Sungage, uh, just scrolling through Facebook at lunch, and someone had posted a random article about a diaper bank out in the Ozarks, <coughs> and I had no idea what a diaper bank was. I thought diapers were covered by government assistance. I assumed, of course, they are, so I didn't make the connection between diaper bank and a food bank, that being something similar. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what this is. And I clicked on it and it turned out to be like the most sad and horribly depressing thing I'd ever read. And I was eight months pregnant with my daughter at the time. And my son was about a year and a half old. So I was like hypersensitive to the entire world, but especially anything related to babies. So I'm crying and going, where's our diaper bank? How is this possible? And started looking for a place in Cincinnati to... Uh, donate to, volunteer to, and I mean, that was like the moment where I was actually embarrassed. Like, I've never had this thought before. I've never heard about a cause and immediately said, how can I give my time and money? That had never previously happened to me. But when I was looking, I couldn't find a diaper bank. Megan Fisher is CEO and founder at Sweet Cheeks Diaper Bank, a nonprofit donating more than 175,000 diapers monthly to needy families. That's serving more than 3,500 babies every month. You heard that right, 175,000 diapers. She's going to hit 2.2 million diapers in 2020 alone. We had a great discussion. Talking about filtering out areas of interest that ultimately get you down to the passions that drive you every single day. From pre-med to journalism and from textbook publishing to nonprofit, each path had a reason and that windy road narrowed Megan's choice, especially during her second pregnancy. She's five years in and she's still the only full-time employee at Sweet Cheeks. It's an incredible testament to her work ethic and willingness to do whatever it takes. Volunteerism and community definitely means something a lot different to me now than it did when I was younger. Um, I think when it was younger, I thought, oh, this is a, a box that you check because uh, your high school is making you do this to graduate, or it looks good when you're trying to get a job. But now I feel like it's something that everyone should want to do just as a good human being. And I wish that I had understood the value of the impact that I could have made younger um, so that I could have been doing work for organizations for a really long time. I mean, Sweet Cheeks is really my first, I'd say, thing that I was really passionate about helping, um, a need that I really connected with. But I didn't really spend time when I was younger trying to find something that I connected with. So, so take, but t- take that and dig into that a little bit more. Do you, is it is it possible to to dig in more when you're younger? I mean, is is that I, I think about it a lot too? How much of it is a wishful thinking, or how much of it is life experiences allow you mm-hmm. to know more that allows you to dig in now? What do you think about that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's definitely value in that because I understood that babies needed diapers. I cared about babies, but until I was a mom and thought about caregivers having to choose between, you know, buying food or putting diapers on their kid or having to say, you know what, I have to leave my kid in diaper for two days, I did not truly understand that need. So there's definitely something 
to that. Uh, I do think that if you try hard enough or look at just a crazy range of organizations that exist to help very specific needs in the community that pretty much everybody could find something that speaks to them or that they have experience (coughs) with. Uh, But it is harder, younger to make that connection. I mean, it's always, I don't want to say shocking, but it's always interesting to us and definitely stands out when we do end up with younger uh, people who come through the door who are super passionate about something or what we do already. Uh, But it's definitely possible. It's something that we really work into uh, kind of our talks with younger kids that come through and try and help them understand what we do and why on their level and really hammer home that, you know, they can make a difference right now. It doesn't matter if they're a kid. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. Um, They can do something right now. And I, I wonder if part of it is that's not maybe a message that they're all receiving. And it's that, you know, when you grow up, you can do X, Y, Z, you know, when you're bigger, you can do X, Y, Z, but we try and let them know you can do something right now and make a huge impact. And I want to dig into sweet cheeks here in a second, but let's go back to college. Um, and you use the word, um, doing something you're passionate about when you were 18, you went to Miami. Were you, were you passionate mm-hmm. about anything? What, what, what did you think then, uh, of what college was going to be and life out of college was going to be? <laughs> oh, man. I I wanted to get out of high school for <laughs> basically since I started high school. I was like, just get me to college. I just want to get things started. Like, I just want to get on this path. Uh, and I started pre-med. So for me, getting to college was, you know, the real work is beginning. Like, I know I'm going to hit these weed out classes. It's going to be really hard. Um, and I was just ready to get to work and get started and just feel independent for the first time. Um, and that was, that was about the extent of it. I just was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go in the medical field in some way. And I've got a really, really long path of school ahead of me. Why did, why pre-med, why the medical field then? What were you thinking? Um, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I, uh, I like bones and I was like, it's, you know, power tools and bones and putting people back together and seems pretty great. (laughs) So that's what I wanted to do. And, um, I got to Oakham and all my behaviors changed. I was sitting in the back of the room. I didn't understand anything, like nothing. Uh, I didn't even want to go to office hours to get help. I just hated it. And, uh, I was in one English class. I had taken one English class, and I thought, all right, I'm going to take this English class just to keep my sanity. And I started to think about that, and I was like, all right, I'm a science major, and I'm in physics and OCHEM and all this other stuff, and I, I picked up an English class to keep me happy. This seems a little backwards, and uh, I was in OCHEM one day in the back of the room, and I was just like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Like, this is not worth it, and... I left in the middle of a lecture, which I like literally never did in my life because I'm a you know front row, always raise your hand, annoy everybody, student type A. And uh, I went over um, to Shriver and got a toasted roll and thought about what I was going to do instead. 
that's like I'm done. <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, sitting there eating the toasted roll at that moment, did you say English journalism is where I'm going, or you just were committed that you'd filtered out science? I was pretty <coughs> sure uh, journalism was where I was going to head. Uh, English had always been my strong suit. Um, I mean, I, I love the sciences a lot, um, and I love everything about medical professions, but English was really kind of my my wheelhouse, and I was like, if, if physics and OCHEM is what I have to do to get to medical field, then uh, I'm willing to let that go <laughs> to something completely different. So I dropped all the science I could. Uh, picked up introduction to horseback riding and introduction to ice skating sprint courses so I could be a full-time student and I think freaked out everybody and uh yeah changed uh, middle of sophomore year to journalism and you got a double major with that so I did creative writing as my second major and did you think then that you were going to be a a journalist or that using writing was going to help you in any sort of business profession in the future Definitely the latter. I knew going in that I was not going to be a reporter. Uh, at, at that time, you either picked a print journalism track or a broadcast journalism track, and I chose the print track. But even when I chose that, I knew, despite doing internships with you know uh, newspapers and writing articles and working for the student paper, like I knew I was not going to do that as a career. And that's been... One of the most interesting things to me is how, uh, I think, successful my nonprofit has been mm. because of my ability to communicate a message. Like, I'm, I'm on the news a lot, and I, I think it's because I know what a soundbite is. I know what they're looking for from me because I've done, you know, hundreds of interviews myself. I get it. Um, and how making our image through what's been written and spoken from the beginning be polished and uh, good really lets people trust you and trust your organization because of the image you're able to put out there through words. Hmm. And, and so then you, you go through Miami, you, you get this mm-hmm. double major, and mm-hmm. we haven't started Sweet Cheeks. We don't have kids. What What's next? Yep. Um, I actually, even uh, in high school, was really interested in textbook publishing. And, (coughs) I mean, that gives you, like, a level, sense of the level of how big of a nerd I am. Um, And I don't, I mean, there's just something about the textbook publishing world that I really liked. (coughs) And I didn't know that we had one of the biggest textbook publishers in the world in Cincinnati. So I... um, I ended up getting a job at Cengage Learning, and it's in um, Mason, Ohio. And I worked there for eight and a half years in various roles. I started manufacturing. I, I met someone when I, was, I served part-time for years, um, and I met someone early on when I was just serving full-time out of school who was like, hey, I work you know, for this publishing company, and if you can just just apply for anything. Just get a job there, get in the door, and then you can start moving around to departments you actually want to work in. And I was like, all right, that sounds great. So that's exactly what I did. I started in manufacturing and worked my way up to editorial. Um, So when I left, I was developing business and marketing uh, content for kind of 101, 201 level courses at the college level. 
And it, it's interesting as we do this pod. I, I rarely do this in chronology or chronological order, but the reason I'm kind of going back to pre-med and then journalism and then your job in textbook publishing is also to show folks that the passion or where you end up is really not where you start. And you filter out yeah. all of these uh, things you don't want to do. And, and by doing so, you weed them out, but you find the passion that ultimately drives you to where you are. And it, it's interesting hearing, I can almost hear the excitement in your voice as you're leading up towards what, what you're doing now. Yes. So uh, that you, well, haven't found, you hadn't found your thing yet, right? No. And what's interesting <coughs> is that in each position, in each like job or role that I've had, or each stage, like there is something very specific, usually one of my least favorite parts of a job um, that I did learn, like hated at the time, that I have used with Sweet Cheeks now. Um, very random things that I was like, oh, I hope I never have to do that again. And now I have to do it, but I can apply it to something that I love. And I think all the time, man, if I hadn't had that experience, if I hadn't learned that thing, what would I be doing now? It could have changed, you know, the whole trajectory of everything. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So let's, let's dig into sweet cheeks, which is an awesome name. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear Thank you. how you came up with the name. Um, but <laughs> let, let's just start with what, what's the mission of the business of the nonprofit? So we work through partner agencies, social service agencies and get free diapers to their clients. Diapers aren't covered in, under any kind of government assistance, so you have to have cash to go to a store to buy them. There's, um, you know, food stamps, WIC, Medicaid, none of those things cover diapers. Hmm. And you started in what year? We started in October of 2015. And was there a singular moment when you said, oh my gosh, we have a real problem and I want to go solve it? Yeah, I was uh, sitting in my cube at work uh, at Sungage, uh, just scrolling through Facebook at lunch, and someone had posted a random article about a diaper bank out in Ozark, <coughs> and I had no idea what a diaper bank was. I thought diapers were covered by government assistance. I assumed, of course, they are, so I didn't make the connection between diaper bank and a food bank, that being something similar. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what this is. And I clicked on it, and it turned out to be, like, the most sad and horribly depressing thing I'd ever read. And I was eight months pregnant with my daughter at the time, and my son was about a year and a half old. So I was, like, hypersensitive to the entire world, but especially anything related to babies. So I'm crying, going, where's our diaper bank? How is this possible? And started looking for a place in Cincinnati to... Uh, donate to, volunteer to, and I mean, that was like the moment where I was actually embarrassed. Like, I've never had this thought before. I've never heard about a cause and immediately said, how can I give my time and money? That had never previously happened to me. But when I was looking, I couldn't find a diaper bank. So I was like, this can't be possible. So I called 211. I said, where do you go if you need diapers? And they're like, oh, there's literally no resources for that. And um, I was like, oh, man, I hope this isn't supposed to be me. <laughs> I just, I wanted to volunteer or donate. I want someone else to do this. 
And uh, after a year of trying to pretend like it wasn't going to be me, I got out of my own way. And I was like, you know, if this is supposed to happen and it's supposed to be me, if I just start taking some steps in that direction, then things should fall into place. And if they don't, then I guess I've got my answer. And Mm. things very much fell into place. And so were you still, were you, were you then home with your second child or were you back at work and um, trying to figure this out while working? So um, my daughter was a year old when I started Sweet Cheeks. And so in that year time, I was trying to forget about it, checked occasionally to see if someone else had started one. And in the end of, very end of September, of 2015, I went to the Unpolished Conference, um, and which is now the Ocean Conference, and that was really the catalyst. One of the speakers there, Jeremy Cowart, um, had an awesome talk, which is now on YouTube. It's called I'm Possible, and it, seeing it for like the first time before it was live and like for the masses was incredible, and it was uh, the reminder of, hey, this actually has nothing to do with you. And if you figure out how to get out of your own way, maybe some pretty cool things can happen. So I ended up back at work, unable to stop thinking about how I'm supposed to be doing this thing um, with two kids, you know, full-time job, house, all that good stuff. And basically then worked for a year, sweet cheeks full-time evenings and weekends and uh, Cengage full-time during the day until I was able to leave and move to uh, Sweet Cheeks full-time. And how did you cut the, – the name Sweet Cheeks seems like uh, one of those names where you and three girlfriends are having wine and brainstorming a name and someone just nails it. How, how, do, you come, how do you come up with the name? Um, I was sitting on my couch. I can't remember if I was drinking wine, but probably <laughs> yes. And um, <coughs> just uh, – like I still actually have the note on my phone of, and I, I, I don't have any background in nonprofits, human social services, nothing. So I thought we were going to be the greater Cincinnati diaper bank because my impression was if, if you don't have a serious name, nobody's going to take you seriously as a nonprofit. So that's what I thought we were going to be. And then I found a diaper bank called happy bottoms out in Kansas city. And I thought, Oh, wait a minute, they're amazing and huge and their branding is fun. I didn't know you could have a nonprofit and have fun. So I scrapped Greater Cincinnati Diaper Bank and I love alliteration. So most of my word combinations uh, have some sort of alliteration in them. But I was just writing down random words sitting on my couch and uh, kept coming back to that one. It kept making me laugh or smile, which is what I wanted to happen to other people. So I put together like three, I think, options with Sweet Cheeks as one of them and texted them to the couple people who had early on said, you know, whatever you need, my skill set for, I'm in for free for as long as you want me. And uh, all of them came back and said, uh, I keep coming back to Sweet Cheeks. It, it makes me smile. It makes me laugh. And I was like, all right, then we're just going to do it. And uh, the people who gravitate towards that will be our people. <laughs> Well, that's and that's where your creative writing skills from ten years prior and a major hundred percent comes in, comes into play. So it's always interesting to see where where it manifests itself. So we're twenty twenty now. You've been doing you've been at this for a while. 
give, give me a perspective of scale. How many diapers are you giving away or helping facilitate to needy families every month? So right now we've got 175,000 diapers minimum going out each month. Uh, last year we did a little over one and a half million diapers total that went out. This year will be probably no fewer than 2.2 million, and it'll just keep going. We're serving around 3,500 babies a month, but the need in greater Cincinnati alone is over 16,000 babies. Yeah, so what, what's, what's next, I guess, uh, when I talk about scale? Is that finding more partners? Is that getting more uh, corporations to give you guys money so you can find uh, additional ways to take care of others? How, how do you get bigger? Yeah, so we've been limited by capacity in a lot of different ways. Uh, for the past two and a half years, it was by our space. We were operating out of 700 square feet and over the Rhine wow. and quadru- quadrupled our distribution out of that space. But basically through we manufacturing, we'd <laughs> turn over our space, you know, fill it up and empty it out, you know, six to eight times a month just because we couldn't hold everything, even close to everything. Uh, so we moved in last September into 16,000 square feet in Lower Price Hill on the west side of Cincinnati. So we fixed our space capacity issue. Uh, staff capacity has been another thing. I'm still our only full-time employee. Wow. So we've just hired a third part-time person and are making some staff changes to move other people up in hours and to end up with another full-time person. So I think we're close to solving some short-term staff issues. So that leaves us with uh, cash, you know, the revenue side of things, we purchase a lot of the diapers going out because we're size matching kids. And we have buying channels where we can buy two to three times more than someone who's buying retail at the store. So we are buying thousands of dollars worth of uh, diapers a month. And now we're in a legit like warehousing facility. So we've got real overhead for really the first time as well. So really, yeah, that's, you know, we're always looking for more corporate sponsors, and we we really like our corporate sponsors to be partners. We don't we, we don't like just checks from people necessarily. We love it when our corporate partners come in to volunteer and come to our events and have us come talk to their employees, and we like to see their facilities and you know have a real relationship with them, which has been pretty great. We actually have a wait list of 44 agencies that want to partner with us, but we don't have the capacity to serve them. So, and when you say have, four, 44 partner agencies, meaning 44 agencies that have the ability to distribute diapers to communities. Yep. So, yep. so, so if we, you had, if you had more warehouse space, or if you had more uh, corporate revenue coming in, you would then be able to satisfy more of those partner agencies. Yep, absolutely. Some of those agencies have been on the wait list for almost two years. Um, we just, and we've never gone out and asked somebody to partner with us. Even from our very first mm-hmm. partner agency, everyone has always come to us and said, we want to partner with you. And if you, in terms of just gross numbers, those 44 Mm -hmm. partner agencies would take your diaper distribution up from 2.2 million a year to roughly how many a year? 
Um, I bet we'd double. Mm-hmm. I think we'd be well over 4 million uh, diapers a year. Because, yeah, with that volume. We're serving 44 active right now, actually. It's really weird that we're uh, equally matched on the active and, and waiting list for the, for the first time. We got 44 active and then 44 on the wait list. So, um, and some of our current agencies would like to increase their distribution, but we've kind of had to, to cap it because of just our capacity. Well, I like, think, there's just not enough diapers. I mean, you should be really proud of yourself for what you're doing. I think there's a couple... Uh, nuggets in there that are fascinating to me. Number one, that you're four or five years deep. You're giving a couple million diapers away every year, and you're the only full-time employee. That's unbelievable. Um, And two, probably unknown to many, you're actually buying diapers. I get it. You've got got a uh, from a pricing perspective, it's probably advantageous and you've got partnerships with manufacturers and others to do so, but it's not like you get free diapers. You still are in the market of having to go out and purchase to then give away. So the, the constant need for uh, income in from individuals or foundations and, and corporations mm-hmm. never stops. Nope, never stops. <clears throat> Yeah, all right. So then let's let's think to the future here for a second as we as we close down. What what's your what's your ask to the market in supporting Sweet Cheeks? Um, and or if you could think two or three years down the road, what's a, what's a goal that you want to go out, set, and reach? Well, my my general ask always is for people to come support us in whatever way they can. (coughs) We use over 400 volunteer hours a month to get everything packaged and out the door to our partner agencies. So we uh, consistently need volunteer groups in as well, just hundreds of people a month. And then we've already discussed, obviously, we need to buy a lot of diapers every month. Um, Down the road, so we've, we've recently expanded in like the last year or so, to distributing period supplies as well. It's another item that's not covered under any government assistance. And we realized uh, not only are there girls missing a week of school every single month because they don't have period supplies, all the female caregivers picking up diapers for babies are choosing between buying themselves period supplies or their baby's diapers. Wow. So that's it was just a huge need. So we have anywhere from 400 to 800 period supply kits going out a month now as well. And that's we don't even know what the need is because nobody wants to talk about it, but um, we've just completed some, some of the first national research through the National Diaper Bank Network and the Alliance for Period Supplies um, on that. So we'll have some more concrete numbers on that need here soon. But the third thing that I really want to launch within the next three years is an adult incontinence supply program. So I tell people, if you think nobody wants to talk to me about periods, nobody is talking about seniors. Um, They are super isolated. Their products will actually be the most expensive products that we distribute. Uh, They are just incredibly expensive, and there's a wide range of them. So this third program would really serve uh, children who age out of our baby diaper program through seniors. So a lot of kids we serve are experiencing some sort of trauma. They might be potty trained and then have regression later on or some sort of developmental delay. So it's a whole different line of products for them and then up through 
seniors. So we've just become really passionate about that need that nobody is tackling here locally as well. So that's something else we want to add on. Mm. And I'm going to, and I'm going to close with how I started about volunteerism and community as you've gone through that. So, so redefine for me now what community means. Hmm. Community to me has just become one of the most special things that you can have. Um, not just, you know, where you live, but where you work. Um, it's something that feels really good when you help develop it, whether that's, you know, through friendships or through serving a, a specific community. But I just, I encourage everybody to get involved in their community in whatever way that might be, whether it's through a nonprofit or politics or just friendships. But it just, I feel like, makes everything a little nicer, a little happier, a little more cohesive and not so divisive when people think about their community and try to do something to make it a better place. Megan, good for you. Good for you for what you're doing. Sweet Cheeks is an incredible nonprofit. I couldn't agree more with you about the power of life experiences. Keep thriving. And friends, keep donating. See you at Alt Skippers real soon.